getting quiet, like I said before, and finding my truth of the moment, right? So we say authentic, like that's some sort of solid, you just got to be yourself, but we're ever changing. So that's part of accepting that too. What does it mean to you to live your best and bravest life? Does it mean being strong and forthright? Do you think of bravery as a woman or a man in uniform wearing stars or medals? Or does it mean being vulnerable, honest and courageous in all that you do? It is my mission in life to help you feel brave and empowered to live as your authentic self. So join me in these inspirational conversations filled with tips and tricks to help you live your best and bravest life. I'm Tiffany Johnson, and this is the When We Are Brave podcast. Welcome to the When We Are Brave podcast. I am so delighted that you are here with me today. Thank you so much for tuning in and sharing your time with me. It really does mean the most to me. Now, if you don't want to miss another episode of When We Are Brave, make sure you go and subscribe. That way, you'll never miss another episode, you'll get notifications, and also don't forget to leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find the When We Are Brave podcast, and I know this is making a huge impact on some people's lives across the globe. So if you can help share the news of Brave, join the Brave movement, and help others to feel brave in their life, that would mean so much to me. All of the podcast show notes and episodes are now on its new website. I'm so excited. Whenwearebrave.com. You can go on there. You can still find all access to me, all access to all of the episodes, uh, all the different platforms that When We Are Brave podcast is on, as well as the When We Are Brave shop and the oils are on there, which have launched last week. Yay, so exciting. And people are loving them. So if you are looking for some courage, self-love or feeling of uplifting, these might be the right little tools for you as well as signed copies of my book, which I'm so excited that had an influx of orders this week. So if you would like to get a copy of Brave Enough Now, my best-selling memoir, a signed paperback copy, they're also available on there, whenwearebrave.com. Now, as there's all these exciting things happening in the world of Brave, I also just wanted to quickly mention, before we get into today's episode, a new event that I am doing. It is called the Festival of Brave. I know, isn't that a great name? It's so exciting. Okay, so this is a virtual event, so anyone across the globe can tune in. Early bird special prices of $35 for the day. It goes from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. I have special guests joining us throughout the course of the day. There's yoga, meditation, what it means to you to be brave, tools and techniques to help you to feel brave, working through limiting beliefs. And then at the end of the day, something super special. I have the gorgeous Annie O'Reilly, Tassiomancis, which is a tea leaf reader. She's going to come on board and share with us different tips and fun tools and ways in which we can read our tea leaves, which is something I love to do. It's super, super fun. So this day is going to be all about empowering you to be your authentic self and live your best and bravest life. I cannot wait. Once upon a time, I was an event manager and I am so excited 
to bring all of the skills and tools of everything that I have worked with in my life, doing events, working in empowerment, public speaking, and now bringing it all into one to help you, my beautiful friends, to help us all to feel brave so we can live this incredible, wonderful, everyday life. It really is going to be so, so exciting. So go onto the website, whenwearebrave.com, and you can check it all out. It's all on there. Click on the top. It says, The Festival of Brave. This event will be running on the 21st of November, which is a Saturday, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Okay, so today I have got on the show the gorgeous Amy Schenkman Rota. Now, Amy is... A dating coach. I didn't even know there were such things as dating coaches. I'm seriously living in the dark ages, guys. But anyway, there is. And her story is not something that you hear every day. In fact, it is incredible. She has this strength and power within her tapping into her authentic self. Not only is she a dating coach, she also has a master's in mental health and mindset But how did she get to being a dating coach? And how did she get to being, getting into her master's in working in mental health? Well, my friends, Amy suffered horrific self-image issues. She was suffering significantly from eating disorders. She couldn't afford to go and find a coach or she couldn't afford to go and find a psychologist. And so she went and joined an Overeaters Anonymous group. But what happened to her in this group changed her life forever. And it's not a story that you hear every day. I can't wait for you to listen to this interview. I absolutely loved meeting Amy. She is delightful and she's charming. And I know that you're going to really connect with what her message is all about, being brave and being your authentic self. Good morning, Amy, or good afternoon for where you are. <laughs> it's a time difference. Hi. <laughs> so well, tomorrow where you are. I know. I'm from the future. I love saying that to people who I talk to <laughs> overseas. Um, so welcome to the When We Are Brave podcast. This is so exciting to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm really excited too. Thank yeah. you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So tell our listeners out there a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got to be where you are today. Sure. Um, I am a licensed associate counselor in the United States in the state of New Jersey. Um, And I'm also a dating coach. I I coach virtually. And um, the name of my business that does that is Successful, Single, and Not Willing to Settle. So we help really awesome, amazing women who are like killing it at life, but having a difficult time finding that special person. Um, We show them how to date authentically to find the right match for them. And how did I get here? Gosh, how long do you have? (laughs) Um, I definitely took a very scenic route because I feel like we get a lot of messages as women in terms of where, what we can do, what our options are. um, And whether it's career-wise or just life-wise. So I had to do a lot of digging to really accept and feel confident enough in what I wanted to do and what I felt like I was being called to do um, and really go after it. So I did a lot of like mini steps where I was a teacher, so I got a master's in teaching and then I realized that that wasn't completely fulfilling and then I moved on from there and went back to school for counseling. So I, I took these mini steps to get where I am. 
all of those steps build up to amazing life experience. I think it doesn't matter how many times you keep learning. You, I think we all keep learning till the day we die, don't we? And that just brings new joy into our life. Um, so in all of your life's journey, what does it mean to you to be brave and to live your best and bravest life? So to be brave to me is to do just like, like you were saying, for sure, every step that I've taken is, has made me into who I am and including any struggles that I've encountered or, you know, hardships that I've encountered, but being willing to, to get quiet wherever you are and really assess if where you are is where you want to be and being willing to, to pivot and change what you're doing to get closer to what it is that you really want. Because I think a lot of people, you know, get comfortable and are afraid to make moves to really get to where they're gonna be happy. Um, and it takes bravery to be like, nope, this is not working for me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a leap and try something else. So that's what bravery for sure is for me. Yeah, I agree with that. When you were on your life's journey, you came across a few struggles in your youth or your younger days, mm -hmm. as we all do, in those first steps into adulthood. I certainly have had my fair share of roundabouts and mistakes along the way, but it makes us who we are. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about um, where you were at in that time in your life and how you were so desperate to find answers for who you wanted to be and you were really searching and how brave you were in those steps that you took because your story is quite fascinating. Absolutely. So like I said, we get a lot of messages when we're younger um, and that's really what brought me to doing what I'm doing now, that passion to help women pull through what those messages were and really be able to decide in our adult life whether we want to hold on to them or let them go. So when I was younger, I was fed messages that my, my, I had to look a certain way. You know, we get these messages of like, we're supposed to be a certain weight and we're supposed to look a certain way. We're supposed to have a certain shape. As in what society is saying to you, like the messages of society, the expectations put on women and where we're supposed to be going and who we're supposed to be. Yes, for sure. And, and some of it, you know, if you, if you asked me when I was younger, like in junior high or high school, like whether or not I was influenced by the media, I'd be like, you're ridiculous. I'm not influenced by the media. And it, I, maybe I wasn't so much. I was, when I look back, I actually was, I just didn't think I was, but how do you not get influenced by the media? I mean, we're, we're impacted with messages all day, but I was also influenced just by seeing and trying to navigate and make sense of the world around me. So there were a lot of girls around me who, you know, had very like slim figures and were getting getting attention while they looked like that and i just always felt like there was something wrong with me um being i was a like curvier i developed early um and i always felt down on myself because of that and i did a lot of different things to try to make myself feel better but it was still there so when i got to college i started to try out different things to to change that and feel better. And I got into some like dabbling in different extremes. So I was not really sure how to navigate. So I definitely 
was, you know, getting into like eating disorders, excessive exercising, there was bulimia in there, um, definitely deprivation. Um, and I did start to get more attention from other people when I was, when I was engaging in that, but it was, it felt very empty because A, I was like grasping onto like, you know, any second this could go away because it was, it was such an extreme lifestyle to be able to look the way that I did. And also when you pretend to be someone that you're not and people give you compliments, it's very empty because you're thinking like somewhere in you knows that the compliments are not really about you. They're about the person you're pretending to be. Um, so yeah. when I was around, I, when I was 21, right out of college, I just had this moment again, like I said, like this moment of like, um, quiet and looking at like where my life was going. And I knew that I was going to end up either hospitalized because of the direction I was going in, or I was going to have to live my life continuously this way, where I was like picturing myself, I was picturing myself when I was 40 and like now I'm 40, but like, I was so old <laughs> when I was picturing myself, like still having to like, you know, run miles and miles and miles on the treadmill to try to like work off what, whatever food I, I couldn't control, you know, that kind of stuff. And I, I didn't want to live that life, but I thought my only other option was to gain a whole bunch of weight. Like I, I didn't know what to do. And how crazy is it that I was like willing to do anything to make sure that I didn't gain weight? <laughs> like I was really at that point of desperation so I don't know, in New York City, so I was in New York City, and I had very little money. So I, you know, the thought of going to a therapist, like I didn't even know how to, I wouldn't even know how to navigate that, and I didn't have the money to pay. So I went to what's called um, an Overeaters Anonymous. I don't know if, you're, if your listeners are aware of that, but it's like a 12-step program for food, and they have like anorexic and bulimic like sections of that. So I got myself to a meeting and there was a woman there who was leading the meeting who told me that she was talking in the meeting with like such um, a surety that she like knew, she like told her story, which sounded very similar to mine. And she was very like adamant about if you follow these steps that, that you'll be free of all of that, you know, like that she didn't binge and purge anymore. She didn't excessively exercise. And I was so desperate to find help um, that I remember being so um, overcome by anxiety that it took me like all the strength I had to raise my hand and ask her like, what are these steps that she's talking about? Like, what are these things that I had to do? And she told me to come into the back room um, after the meeting. And there were all these women around my age who came in the back room also. And they were all kind of like her, her people, right? Like they were all girls who were like kind of following this too. And um, I was really willing to do whatever she said to be free of this like prison that I really felt like I was living in, except for getting, getting, gaining weight. I wasn't willing to do that, but anything else she said, right? So um, I feel like I was brave because I was willing to do that. I was brave because I went to that meeting. I was brave that I raised my hands in that meeting and, and asked for help. Um, what ended up resulting was that I, I followed this woman and it turned out that there was this whole group of women and some men, but it was mainly women 
who were running what, what essentially turned out to be like a religious cult. Um, and we had to do, we had to give up pretty much everything under the guise of like, now that you you're doing these 12 steps, you found God. And, and if you leave, then you're going to go back to binging and purging again. Like it was very like seductive in the sense that I was being watched a lot. So I did stop. I did stop binging. I did stop purging. Um, so those things were true. And yet I had to, you know, I, I was in my early twenties, so I had to give up all like, I remember all of my friends because I had to go to all these meetings and I had to travel in between States every week to get to these meetings to prove that I was like really invested and willing to go to whatever length I needed to go to, to get well. Um, and when I tell the story, like when I talk about that, I was, I was in this cult, you know, so it, there was, oh, there were these degrees of like, will you do this? Will you do that? You know? So, um, the religious part didn't come in right away. They kind of get you in. And then later on that stuff started to come up. Um, and you know, I'm a Jewish girl from Long Island, New York. And I was like, yeah, sure. You want me to believe in Jesus? You want me to to get, you know, baptized, absolutely, whatever you want, because I was so in that. And yeah. although it, it was brave for me to, to join it, like, I feel like it was brave for me to say, whatever I need to do, I'm going to do it. And, and yes, I'm going to do, you know, uh, I'm going to change my whole lifestyle absolutely to get this freedom. There came a time where it had to switch. And again, I had to think and stop and think like, is this the right thing? Because at some point I turned my questioning off and it became all about, I can't trust, I was told that I can't trust myself and I had to like just trust these women before me to teach me the way to go. So I agreed to do that, which I think is brave because I was willing to do anything, right? But then at some point I had to turn that back on. Um, I think that's even braver though, isn't it? To really go, sometimes you're in such a state that life brings you these experiences and it could be anything. It could be with eating, it could be relationships, it could be with jobs. But at some point you have to trust your own self. Yes. And it's very easy when you're in a state of high anxiety or mental health issues or you're just feeling so uncertain about a particular situation that you can't really hear your own voice. And I love how you're saying about being still and really listening to you because at the end of the day, you're the person that knows you the best. And I think that that's incredibly admirable of you to stop in that experience and take a good look at everything and the other thing too is with um having eating disorders i became anorexic at, at probably around the same age a little bit younger than that due to a very toxic relationship i thought that if i was skinnier i would fix it if i was skinnier it would make everything better which it, who thinks that like <laughs> thanks skinny off however your body shape is doesn't make any difference does it so it's incredibly brave of you to take that leap, but then really take that another big leap to change your life again. And then how long were you there? It was quite a few years, wasn't it, that you were within that? It was three years. Um, so it was quite, I mean, if you really break it down like day in, day out, because they had infiltrated my entire being. So 
it was three years and um i love i don't love that you say this but when you're when you're like how can i think that making myself skinnier is gonna help my relationship that i mean i'm i'm fascinated by women who grow up and don't have these issues <laughs> you know like how did you do it like i think it's unfortunately so common that we get these messages when we're younger that we're just not worthy of love unless we change stuff about ourselves which and that's ridiculous isn't it like you are authentic you are amazing unique incredible person in this world every single person on this earth is i totally believe that so how did you get out so um so the basically i had converted right like i said i converted to catholicism and this was like traditional catholic like old school latin mass this wasn't just like it was very different and you know everyone's beliefs i i feel like everyone has a freedom of believing whatever they believe for sure but i did this and i would never admit it when i was there but i did this because i i needed to do this to stay a part of this group and i felt like i needed to stay a part of this group to stay well so it was really whatever they told me to do i was trying to follow um however at the same time i in the very beginning of me being there i was you know um uh, as they would put it doing very well and then slowly like not so far into it i started like i was on the hot seat a lot like i was being told that i was there was something off that i was off with god like i was i was getting pretty battered um and that really actually forced me to be like because i couldn't find a way out of it i was like i'm willing to do whatever you're telling me to do so i don't really understand why i'm getting bashed to the point where i am um and around that time um actually a group of uh orthodox jewish women started to come in at the same time that this was happening and i cut something awoke in me and i was like well i was born jewish like and they're here and they seem to be doing well so maybe i didn't have to and i didn't know what i believed to be honest i was always really agnostic at heart like i but i was it started it it brought something up in me that i was like maybe i wasn't being honest right so the 12 steps of alcoholics anonymous there's a book it's called the big book and you know whoever's in there to try to figure out what their concept was um and i mean i guess long story short because there's a there's a lot in there that kind of got me to this place but i had visited my parents and i was driving back to go to one of the meetings and when i was with my parents i had mentioned something and their reaction to me was off-putting you know like a kind of was like they were trying to get through to me and what i was doing and it just it felt weird and i had already been pulling away from them most times if i visited them i had to bring somebody else who was in the group with me that was kind of like monitoring what i was doing um and i was monitoring them i guess essentially like we kind of had to tell on each other like you were never really alone i was living with these women at this point um so i'm driving back to connecticut which is where the bigger meeting was and where really like the the cult like lived and that that line of of it just needs to be your perception of god or you whatever you perceive as god kind of got into my head and i remember saying in the car like i don't know what that is like i don't i but it was it became you know like i said before i really am naturally very 
like agnostic. Like I believe in spirituality. Like I believe that there's something potentially, but like I don't really consign to any specific organized religion. Um, and that was my truth. And I just had this piece of like, if that's really what I believe and the, and the big book says that it's just being honest, right, about what you believe, then I couldn't go wrong by believing that. It was who I was. So it was like this moment of like, this is who you are, Amy. And you, I mean, essentially, if there's God, God made me who I am. So I can't be wrong. Like there, there, you know, and I got this moment of like, oh, this is who I actually am. Um, and I just started to speak out about it with, with these women who initially I was doing whatever I could to kind of follow them. I was like, this is what I think. Like, this is honestly where I'm at. And like, this is who I am. And I'm not any of these religions or like the religion you guys are trying to make me into. Like, I don't believe this. And once I opened up and started talking like that, like, and I, and I, I like had turned my brain on again, then I was like, you guys are all suffering. Like there was, they were all suffering, suffering. Like there was a, a head of the head of the cult had actually died from cancer a few years before, or a few years before and before I actually got in. Um, and they spoke about him. Like he was like a God. Um, and I was like, I don't, you know, I don't think you guys are intentionally doing this because they were kind of following what he had started and, and also trying to hold on to like the quote unquote wellness that they had found in that group. But I was able to say, you're all, you're, you all need help. <laughs> like, you know, like you're, you're all kind of giving, not with bad intentions, but you're like spreading essentially illness to other people. Um, and as a result of that talk, and I really feel like where they were and like different things happening. So I don't want to take all the credit, but the, but they shut down um, after like shortly thereafter that meeting. Um, so it was me getting authentic with myself. And that's actually what I brought to, um, to dating and looking, I wasn't allowed to date when I was in the cult. I had like a short period of time where I was allowed. And then they told me I was off and I couldn't date anymore. So when I left there, um, that last stint of dating before I met my husband was, I was super strong with, I will never quiet myself or pretend that I'm somebody other than I am in order to get somebody to like me. Like I'm never gonna do it. And so when people talk, when you spoke about like being in a toxic relationship, being in the cult was essentially the same thing. It was just, it just wasn't a sexual relationship. It was all these women, you know, kind of jibber jabbing and me trying to figure out how to stay a part of what they were doing. But when, when people talk about being in toxic relationships, I'm like, it's, this, it's the same thing. Like I experience it's, me trying to, you know, stay skinny to be a part of something. It was me trying to like do whatever they were, I thought they wanted me to do to get what I thought they had to give me. So that's how I brought, like how I, I moved from, it was just a second of like, what do I really think? You know, it was that moment that really turned everything around for me. Those moments are such a gift, aren't they, to you when you are able to actually really connect with who you are and own your truth is incredibly brave. Well done, you. Thank you. And every time I do it, wonderful things come from it, you know. So every time I get quiet and I, because, I mean, it's every time. 
And it's scary because you think that like, oh my gosh, I'm going to change stuff. Like I didn't know what was going to happen if I went back and was honest. But once you really tap into what you really think, like there's no, what other way is there to do it, you know, other than being honest? Yeah. So getting, when I realize that I'm feeling unsettled, getting quiet in that moment and figuring out what's going on. So I work in the mental health field and I have a history of anxiety in my family and I've had anxiety and, and a lot of times we, we work to like quiet that and push it away. But for me personally, um, when I realize I'm feeling anxious, getting quiet in that moment and figuring out why I'm feeling that way. And, and deciding- how do you do that? Do you like write in your journal or do you just think it through? Do you take deep breaths? When you're deconstructing your thoughts and you're anxious, it's very difficult to work out what's true, what's not true, why that's happening. Because often we sort of start to go into this whirlpool of thoughts that are not necessarily true because we're feeling anxious, we're feeling unsure, we don't know. Do you have a special way of working out how you can separate those feelings from the truth? So it's not a perfect, like it's not a perfect system. No. <laughs> there are when, you get, when you get wrapped wrapped into something. But what I've learned is that in that moment of anxiety, you might just be in it. You might just be feeling it and kind of have to go through it, but you always have time when that anxiety comes down to reflect. So it might not be right in that second where, but I'll, I'll kind of, you know, when I was a teacher, right, I was very, there was a point where I was going and teaching every single day and feeling very anxious and very agitated um, in that realm. And I was like talking, you know, having all these issues internally about it and at some point, again, this voice kind of, you know, my, in my head was like, what, what's going on here? Like you, you know, it's kind of like when you realize like I can keep complaining about it, but nothing's going to change. So like, where do I have control here? What am I really thinking, you know, and what, what options do I have? So our anxiety can work in a couple of different ways. It can stop you from getting what you want when it's like unhelpful anxiety, but there are times when you can feel anxious. And if you either during or afterwards sit and look back and say, what was that all about? That you can decide then what are the steps that I actually have control over? Like what are things that I can actually do to calm it down? And that tends to be, even if I could do it in the middle or afterwards, what actually helps me? Because sometimes the answer will be, well, if you make this phone call, you'll have less anxiety. Like if you do this one like little thing, you know, if you check this thing off your list, you'll have less anxiety. And sometimes it's like you have no control over any of this. So you need to move and distract yourself or do something completely different because whatever's going on in your head is completely out of your hands. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, but it's recognizing what anxiety feels like and building the muscle of of noticing it and whether it's during or afterwards being willing to again, pause and look at it. Yeah. that takes incredible bravery and courage because sometimes you just keep going in that whirlpool and it just keeps going in a vicious circle. Oh yeah. I mean, I, there are still stories of my life where I'm stuck in it forever, you know, like, I, or not forever, but like, you know, <laughs> it feels like forever lot, during. <laughs> it feels, 
Right. Yeah. And so you yeah. think about the cults, like at some point shortly thereafter, I was getting mass. Like I kind of was, I was in it, you know, I'd made this, this, um, decision to be a part of it, but there was a while where I was questioning and not sure. And, you know, it's the same thing again. Like I said, when you're in a toxic relationship, you don't, you get these senses and feelings that it's just not right, but you are digging yourself out of something. It's not very rarely. Is it like you're in it? And then two seconds later, like no way. And you get yourself, you know, especially once you've committed and your brain has decided like, this is the answer. This is the person who I'm going to be with. This is, you know, the thing that's going to make me happy. Then there's some digging to really then retrain your brain that that's not where you want to go. Um, so I think also just being kind to ourselves that it takes, it does take a little time to shift. Yeah, we do need to all take some more time. And I think when everything's so fast paced that it can feel like we're not keeping up because, right. you, know, the, you know, the social media feed is scrolling at a thousand miles an hour and, you know, how many tweets do people make a day? So I think with technology and life moving fast, even though our world has changed with COVID and we are not as around people, especially not in Melbourne at the moment. We're still in lockdown when we're doing this recording. But I think it um, it's very important to to really not feel that pressure. It feels like there's a lot of pressure, I think, in the world to move faster and we really don't have to move faster. We're not being chased by lions and tigers anymore. <laughs> we don't yeah, need to, exactly. you know, run away to be safe. We are generally in our homes and in a safe place. Right. And feeling that way of having to run, like, so you're identifying that, that that feeling is not true, right? It's, it's a, it's not really where we find happiness you know, it's, it's, it's in the space. So where that's coming up for you, then when that comes up for me, like when I'm scrolling constantly and I'm, and I'm feeling like agitated by my scrolling and I, I can feel it. I feel it in my stomach. Like at some point there, there have definitely been gaps where I'm like, I'm, I'm taking this off my phone because I'll mindlessly pick up my phone and start scrolling and not even realize that I'm, I'm, in there, you know, it's almost like the new snacking, you know, it's like the scrolling, like you don't realize that you're grabbing for it. So I'll make certain changes to give myself that space and peace. And then, you know, maybe a week later, I'll be like, okay, I feel like I can put it back on now, you know, or, or maybe a couple days later. So it's like you, what you're just saying, it's catching yourself, like, where is this, where, what can you do because of you catch the thought and then it's, what can I do to find peace in this and to make my thoughts more calm, you know, and whatever that ends up, sometimes it's been big things for me, like, like joining a cult, leaving a cult, you know, teaching, leaving teaching, you know, all that stuff. Um, going for a second master's when I was having babies, like all those are big things. And sometimes it's like, I got to take Facebook off my phone for a little bit, you know, <laughs> like I need to not be scrolling on that. Yeah. I totally understand exactly what you're saying. Yes. Great advice. Really, really great advice. And to do that, it takes incredible courage and bravery because we feel like we've, we've got the bit of the FOMOs going on, you know, the fear of missing out. If I don't check it today, I might miss something. No, people, I'm telling you now, the world will not stop if you don't check your social media feed for a week, even two weeks, even a month. 
the world will not stop. So in all of those incredible tools that you have shared with us, is there any other tools that you wanted to touch on, on how to live a brave life? I, I want to, just about the being, getting quiet, you know, I talk about um, in my practice and in my coaching, this kind of idea of, of mindfulness. It's not for me um, sitting in like the lotus position and meditating for, you know, it's really, like I said, I was driving in a car and just took a second by myself. It's, it's moments in my shower because that's where I'm alone and feel at peace and know that nobody's going to walk in on me. Um, it's those moments. So like no matter how, you know, we work with high, pretty high powered women who are super busy. I mean, who's not busy, but it's, it's just checking in on yourself. You don't necessarily have to have a dedicated regimen for it. Um, and the other thing I would say is allow yourself to daydream. You know, when we're kids, we get, we daydream. We, we think about what we want, where we want our lives to go. And at some point we're told that that's foolish or we, or we, our life goes in a certain direction and we feel like we can't have those daydreams. So we shut them off, but daydreaming, which is also really visualization, right? Is extremely powerful. First of all, because our brains don't know that we don't have the thing that we're thinking about. So it nourishes us to daydream. And secondly, it lets us, like I said, get quiet and look at what are the things I actually have control over to make those things that I really want happen? So we yeah. do that in our, in our coaching program, like visualization, really going after what you want um, or taking the time to think about what you want. And I will tell you, it's one of the hardest parts of our program for the women who come in because they've so trained themselves not to do that anymore or they're running so much on autopilot, like who sits back and like imagines their future. Like I'm just doing the day to day. And, and I would say that that's a really powerful tool. And again, you don't have to be sitting and meditating about it. You could be like going to sleep at night and be imagining it. You could be in the shower, you could be driving, you know, but give yourself that freedom to do that again. Cause in that daydreaming are a lot of really cool answers that can really um, embellish your, the life that you're living now. Fantastic. I'm a big daydreamer. I'm all for daydreaming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I even have a visualization that's up on my website to help people to feel brave. So, and the great thing about when visualizing is that you can do it exactly as you say, you can do it in the car, you can do it, you know, when you're having a shower, you can go for a walk. You don't have to be, like you say, sitting in the lotus pose. That's not for everybody's it's not everyone's cup of tea. I love it, but not everybody else loves it. And I get that. Totally get that. So you're this incredible dating coach, which I think is so fascinating. Having been married for 17 years and now with my husband, I've been with him for 20 years. So That's I have dated. Yeah, it's so wonderful. In fact, we were just saying this morning, Hey, I've been Mrs. Johnson for 20, for 17 years. Mrs. Johnson. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, and probably more in love than we've ever been. Um, but it's taken, it takes a lot of work. A lot of work. For sure. Absolutely. A lot, a lot of communicating, a lot of understanding each other's love languages, a lot of communicating. 
that I think is the key, you know, is to be able to communicate. And I'm sure that you teach a lot of people out there, um, your beautiful women that you're working with on how they can communicate with themselves, but also in relationships, because it's such a key component of, of a successful relationship. So if people are wanting to work with you and connect with you, Amy, and all the incredible work that you do, where can they find you? So we're on Instagram. It's at Successful Single Female. Um, we also have a Facebook group, Successful Single and Not Willing to Settle. Our Instagram has our link tree on the top of it, which will show you our website. You know, we're, we're www.successfulsinglefemale.com. So like once you know one, you tend to know the others. And if you're not, you just want to hear us more and what we're, we're talking about. We actually have a podcast, Successful, Single, and Not Willing to Settle. Um, and you can find that on iTunes and Spotify and all the fun places where we have podcasts. Yeah, so for all the gorgeous listeners out there, if you're needing some inspiration in the dating scene, definitely go and check out Amy's beautiful podcast. And I love the name of it too because it's all about empowerment, isn't it? And just being authentic with who you are and just because you are successful in particular with your audiences with the corporate women, uh, it's tricky for, for those women and they really need to learn to just be who they are because we're all, like I said before, amazing, unique, wonderful individuals put on this earth for a purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Amy, it's just been delightful hearing your incredible story and how you're now helping so many other people through your own life lessons to help them to feel brave and empowered to be who they are. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Have a wonderful day. (laughs) Isn't Amy's story absolutely fascinating? You know, when you're vulnerable and you're wanting something in your life and you're in a bad place, It takes incredible courage to really listen to who you are, what you really want, and what you really believe. Amy is testament to how we can move forward, even in our dark times, even when we think that we're doing the right thing, and sometimes we need to have a change in direction. COVID has certainly brought us so many different circumstances, ones that we would never in a million years have thought could happen. And so many people have had to pivot, change direction, and some people have really struggled and some people have thrived. But it's how we face difficult circumstances that really helps us to move forward in our life. And it's what makes us brave. Listening to who you are is brave, my friends. It is so, so brave. If you would like to connect with some other beautiful, brave hearts, make sure you go onto my free Facebook group, Brave Hearts. It is in today's show notes if you're wondering how you can find it easily because I know that uh, Facebook groups can be a little bit daunting and overwhelming. So go to whenwearebrave.com and there will be a link in there for you. Oh, what a great episode. Thank you so much, my friends, for being here, for tuning in. If you would like to connect with me, you know where I am, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or you can always email me at info at whenwearebrave.com. I would love to hear from you. And so, my friends, be brave. Until next time, and live your best and bravest life.